City have another chance. What is going on, Orlando City fans? Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Lions Blog Podcast. This is your host, Gavin Rushnell, today with, of course, the one, the only, Daniel. How are you doing today, Daniel? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I am doing pretty good. Uh, still having some audio difficulties on my end, so my apologies for that. Uh, we are back. I will not promise any future episodes, which I do apologize for, but it's just been a crazy um, time in my life personally. Uh, and so I, I do appreciate those who are sticking by us and listening when we are producing content. Obviously, it has not been as consistent as I would want. Um, but hopefully here in the stretch, we can be a little bit more consistent. Um, but we've got a good conversation coming up for you guys. Uh, just me and Daniel, Adam out sick and Chase unavailable due to uh, some more important things like college. Um, so unfortunately, he can't be here. But yes, coming off of a 1-0 win in Cincinnati, um, a real nail biter at the end. So Daniel, just to kick off the conversation, I will kind of let you have free reign over your thoughts on the lineup. Um, obviously, the back four, the only real change was Moss in the back. Uh, the midfield had Urso and Perea. Uh, front three of Nani, Pereira, and Mueller, and of course, DK up front. So just to kick off the conversation, what were your thoughts on uh, Poppy's lineup? I was quite happy with it. You know, it, it resembled, um, you know, like a strong, a strong, a strong team. You know, like I was half expecting him to, to roll out a few of the, the fringe players, especially with the big game against Montreal coming on Wednesday. But I was uh, happy and surprised, um, you know, with 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 what we got. I mean, it was as strong a starting lineup. I was quite happy with uh, the attacking midfield selection, especially, and you know, I think performance-wise, after you know, after the game began, obviously, and then the lineup had performed, you could see that it actually did work quite well for a good period of time. So, I was happy. I'm always happy when coaches put their best best teams out I mean or as close as they can um, I'm not a fan of, of like sort of large scale rotation so you know I was happy with it very happy yeah I have to say I was I was I, I've gone I've come to a point with this team where I'm okay with most of the lineups we put out obviously if you put a collection of certain backup players together um, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit more down on it but as long as you've got the uh I would say the starting 15 yeah. in there, I'm pretty pleased with it. And these players kind of consist of that starting 15, starting 16 players that I'm okay with. Um, well, yeah, I mean, what I'm thinking is that, you know, we have some experts in the social media world, as we know, that probably play a lot of FIFA. And, you know, they'll tell you that you can put 11 names on the field and this team will just win because it, cause it will, basically. They won't give you any reason why. But... You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of things, especially in key positions like uh, centre back and in central midfield. Especially, like you need that chemistry, and you're not going to get it if you keep making six or seven rotational changes. Doesn't matter how good, you know, the six or seven guys from your 15 or, or 18 now, if they haven't played together enough um, at the right level of games, then you can always get disjointed performances. So, you know, perhaps, you know. Uh, the coach now for the rest of the season is just going to go with, you know, this consistent 11, maybe one or two changes as needed and, you know, stop pissing about with this, you know, wide, you know, widespread change that we've been seeing through the season. And, and it's not just him that does it. It's like every Orlando coach has done it, you know, and effectively throwing a game here and there. I, I don't like that. So I'm glad that, you know, we've got a good strong lineup. I'm glad that DK played. I'm glad that, you know, Nani played and Galassi and so on. You know, it's all very good. Yeah, not to mention it had been, you know, two weeks since our last game. I do mm -hmm. understand some of the rotation, obviously, due to yeah, um, not all at the same time. And all that. Yeah. Go ahead. Not all at the same time, though. Like, you know, it's just one of them weird things, you know. But yeah, I get what you're saying. I understand it. MLS doesn't really help matters with the scheduling. So yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the game itself. Obviously, we scored in the 13th minute after some good play in um, bringing the ball up to 
to attack. Um, it was a really good sequence of, of passing play to go from back to front. And Juan gets himself into the box as he so often does and kind of cuts in and lays it back to Urso, who unleashes a very accurate strike mm-hmm. bottom right corner. Very difficult to save as the ball goes through a lot of bodies. Um, what th- That seems to be something that we've seen this season that we've been very good at, getting the ball into the attacking phase and has really impressed me. Um, it's not so much... Uh, we are a tiki-taka play out the back as we used to be during the uh, MLS's back cup run where we lost in the final um, that got everybody's eyes on us. Um, we're more of a transition team now, but building up through the through the um, midfield, we've been okay at. We've had some rough rough patches here and there, especially in our down down run, but this was a, a good indicator of of Get, being able to get the ball to midfield, obviously, our, or sorry, into the final third, obviously our biggest problem, our biggest issue now to contend with is getting, taking advantage of those positions mm-hmm. that we get ourselves in, which we have not done well. But Urso, um, great individual effort. Uh, what was your thoughts on the first half overall? Um, if you want to touch on the goal, you can. Well, going back to your, your point, you know, playing out the back, I've seen blind ballet dancers with more composure than our defenders. So I'm really, you know, glad that they're kind of moving the ball just a bit quicker and getting it out wide a little bit more and getting the ball forward. It just suits, seems to suit, um, seems to suit the, the players more to be, you know, to take the initiative a little bit more quickly rather than having too much time to think about it. You know, the, the only player you could really say, like, might be comfortable at the back making a pass would be it would be Jansen and you know and even then that's kind of debatable because boy he has really improved his left foot though in terms of distribution recently yeah I mean, like, he has a, been... like off of the long range yeah but yeah. you know like if he can pick a guy out wide I mean he's he's the man to do it he'll, he'll ping that ball out wide and it seems like nine out of ten times it finds somebody so that's really good but like when it comes to to play into a deep line midfielder or maybe out to someone, you know, maybe within 20 yards, they all seem to struggle with it. You know, they, you know, that's that's something that just seems to happen a lot. Like MLS and and US men's national team, you could even say, are more suited to to the transitional play, like you've referenced already. Um, just seems to be the thing here. So it seems to work for for Orlando. It's um, you know, it gets a little bit more out of the players, and I think in the first half, I mean. Cincinnati looked like a beaten team, which isn't really a surprise, given the, you know, given the run they've had. I mean, it was one win in 19 games. It's one win in 20 now, I think. And you know that Only that type of run. Only one win at home all season. I know, and, and that's it's a shame for their fans. I mean, that's it's a beautiful venue they got there as well, and the fans do seem to to stick with them, or at least the core seems to stick with them. So I mean. It's got to be rough, I mean, for those players, essentially nothing to play for now for like the last few games of the season. Um, they they made it really easy for Orlando, and um, Orlando was able to showcase its better qualities. They moved the ball forward nicely, quickly. Um, could have been a little more clinical. You know, decision-making still a bit suspect, I think. You know, like, going back to my point about players having a little bit too much time to think, you know, we seem to score more goals or, or have more positive moments if somebody just takes a chance and takes a shot, as we saw with Urso's goal. But playing it into the box and final third, and then a goal, it's not something we're going to see very often. Like I said, Cincinnati didn't really do anything particularly well. The defence was not particularly um, strong on the goal. Well, it was a decent... A combination play with one and so, but um, you know they kind of shot themselves in the foot. But you know it's a deserved, um, deserved lead for Orlando. Definitely going into halftime. Yeah, I mean when you look at the stats, halftime mm-hmm. stats where we had fourteen shots, fourteen shots in one half. Uh, I I couldn't even remember the last time we had that many shots in the first half. Usually we, uh, yeah. if we need to, we will pepper a goal in the second. But um, the mm-hmm. first half, that is. Um, out of the ordinary. Um, going towards the second half now, 
Um, I, I want to bring up your point about, what did you say? That you've seen blind ballet dancers with more <laughs> composure on the ball. Yep. <laughs> A lot of high press. Um, Cincinnati, mm. I don't know. Uh, I, I, well, I do know what happened. Their coach had a, a pretty good halftime team talk and, and changed some things around. Um, noticed that we weren't really capable of dealing with pressure. I don't know if it was part of the game plan overall that they planned out in advance to uh, get to the 45 minutes and then in the second half come out with the high pressure so they could sustain it for the half. Or if it was more of a on-the-fly, hey, this is something I've noticed, Orlando City, uh, mm-hmm. this is how we can get them. And a lot of times they almost did. And, and to me, it might be something that was more on the fly as we had a couple really bad giveaways in mm-hmm. in the tail end of the first half. So that makes me think it was more of a on the fly kind of thing. But anyways, they had pressed. They had pressed us big time and we could not cope. And there are a couple teams that have done that to us this season and we haven't coped. Uh, the one that comes to mind is New York Red Bulls, who beat us in both the home and away mm-hmm. fixtures. And they are uh, very notable under Gerard Struber um, to be a high-pressing team. That's the one that comes to mind the most right now. <clears throat> I believe Atlanta United did it to us, too, when they slapped us 3-0. Mm-hmm. So, overall, this was just another display of us not being able to, to cope with that. Um, they did have a lot of chances. I do think part of the reason we got through was just their quality um, in the offensive third just wasn't there um they have decent players but they're they're just not linking up well to go back to your point on chemistry mm-hmm. which they have chopped and changed a lot obviously um so the second half for me was disappointing um in some aspects but also very very positive to see us kind of come through that you know what i mean so where, where does the balance lie for you between hey the had a really rough period. We struggled. Uh, we were one nil up on the road, and the other team was who not a lot of people see as a good team. Um, they they were kind of dominating us there for for a solid twenty minute spell. Um, how do you balance that versus? But we got through it. We still kept the clean sheet. They did not score, and um, we grinded out the the win. Where where does that balance lie for you personally? Um. I'm I'm always someone that's paid more attention to performances than I have results, you know, which in a statistics-driven world that we live in is not going to be the most popular take. But, um, you know, when if, Orlando, if you asked Orlando, did they pass the eye test yesterday, then my answer would be no, only because in the second half, I mean, they allowed Cincinnati, you know, a lot of freedom in the in the field and they didn't respond well to the press and... It just comes down to that core uh, concern for me that I've had all season is whether we have enough actual quality throughout the squad. Because you can press teams and press teams, but good quality sides will always find a way to play out of that and to deal with it. And on a one-off occasion, like, for example, DC United, or probably Red Bulls is probably a better one because that was earlier in the season. Um if they were going to nail that sort of issue, then it should have been after that game. But it's been, it's been their undoing now several times this season. And, you know, if Cincinnati's uh, attacking players had just been a little bit more, you know, on, on the game, maybe not lacking so much in confidence, they might well have punished Orlando in the game. So it, it's a concern for me that, you know, certainly going forward, they, they might be able to this season ride the momentum and, and get the results they need and get into the playoffs. But next season onwards, you know, another six months is going to pass between the end and the start of the season, respectively, or four months, however long it's going to be. I think it's going to be a bit less, probably four months. You know, then these players are going to be older, a little, a little less wiser, and, and, you know, they have to come in and they have to bring some people in that can maybe play out of that system a bit better. Because... It seems like the blueprint right now to get under Orlando's skin is to just press them and then they'll crumble, which, to be honest, it's happened more often than not. So it is a concern. Um, but they got the result. I mean, people are going to say the points are what matters. And to be honest, they're probably right at this stage of the season. But as a 
it's something to do over a 34 game season you can't continue to to give the, the giveaways that we do and the sloppy passes we do and just continue to to ride it out and get the point or the three points you know yeah um and look we're going to be scouted for the playoffs we all mm-hmm. know that every single game your team is scouted obviously but for the playoffs you're going to be extra scouted and they're going to be looking at well they lost you know some surprising games this season against teams that weren't very good at the time that they played them why mm-hmm. did that happen you know we lost at home to montreal mm-hmm. <laughs> you know there was a red card in there but if they go and watch the footage there's a reason we lost to montreal we were two nil down in 37 minutes um it was their press we could not contend with it it's a it's it's a recurring theme and me being the person I am, I always want to look at the why of these these recurring themes and and struggles and also good things. And mm-hmm. for me, I don't I don't know what your take is, but the why tonight for me, why we couldn't handle the press was the midfield pivot or so on Perea. Um, we're not spaced correctly, and mm-hmm. they they were too far apart, and so. When you get pressed, you need you need two triangles, basically. You need the triangle of the person on the ball. Let's say the person on the ball is Juan. So just picture this. Juan has the ball. The triangle is Perea, Carlos, Juan mm-hmm. um, to get out of that. And then you need Perea, Mueller, Pereira to get out of that. So let's say the ball gets to Perea. He needs to turn and get it forward to the next triangle, which is your 10, your right winger, and your right center mid. Hope you guys can picture that. That's the whole right side of our starting 11, basically. So, you when you're getting pressed, you just need that one extra person to help you out. Because they you, your triangles can get cut off very easily. Urso is that man. Or sometimes it can either even be Pereira. Even though he's a part of that secondary triangle. Sometimes you can drop back, make it into almost a diamond, and then push forward and that's where you get one twos and stuff like that that's how you get out of pressure situations in defense urso was not doing that and neither was perea i don't know if it was a specific tactic where oscar said no i need you guys to hold your positions i don't want you guys going around looking for the ball um which is something we've seen nani and maurizio Pereira do in times of struggle and they really really weren't involved at all we could not hold on to the ball um, and they were not coming deeper to get it until maybe around 65th minute time period is when I remember seeing seeing their names again. Um, mm-hmm. They were just completely cut out. Um, you could say the same thing for, for DK and Mueller. And I, I mean, it's a testament that the fact that all four of our starting front four players were taken off the field because they weren't doing anything at all in that second half. Um, and I think Benji Michelle coming on was a was a really big move. So for me, that was part of the problem. Um, do you think it was more of a Oscar Pereja instruction or more of a lack of game intelligence, noticing that they needed some extra support to get out and it just wasn't happening from our from our midfield dub, double pivot? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Like the press is really weird because it's it's like a bear trap. I mean, you've it's got to go off at the right time, otherwise it's not effective, right? So. If your main striker or attackers are not pressing at the right time, pressing the right player, then the guys behind them are not going to be in sync either. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we press that well um, up front either, and um, and then it leaves the midfielders kind of in a which is you know, hard. Like, I mean, it was a three-back system versus you know our four. Usually, three backs are hard to press properly. They're hard to press, but um, you know you can pick one one or two guys out of that back three. You know, like for example, they could have picked Hagland and, and Cameron, that are you know not the most comfortable ball playing defenders you're going to find. And those are the two I would target. I wouldn't, you know, or maybe I'll, you know you could even just leave them unattended. But the thing is, is that there didn't seem to be a a real decent plan when it came to the pressing and and. When you do that, then your midfielders are going to be like, well, hang on a sec, if we leave and they bypass the press now, because they already gain the man, the, man, uh, sorry, the man advantage by the strikers not pressing properly, 
well, they're going to leave somebody like Acosta free as well. So I don't blame it all on the midfielders, to be honest. I think the press broke down on our front line. And the midfielders are left in a position. And I'm not a fan of double pivots to be either, to be honest. I think like you've got two defensive players that are just going to sit in front of your defenders. And I don't know, like... That's to me. That's a bit negative. I'll just play with the one and have somebody just in front of them, maybe to do more of the pressing. So that's what I would have done personally. Um, I feel like the, the the front four did not press, did not influence the game, did not impose themselves enough, and that left the the two in the middle as, you know, in a in a bit of a situation because you had Brenner dropping deep as well, um, trying to get away from the centre backs, and then you have Acosta sitting in the hole. So it's like, well. You can't leave those two unattended either. So I think Cincinnati counted it well, but Orlando didn't do enough as far as uh, trying to get that ball back. Yes, I agree with that. Now, where do you stand on us not being able to handle their press on us? It just comes down again to composure, you know, and quality on the ball. I don't, I, don't, I don't think we have enough of it. I've always, I've always said that. I'm not making a flippant remark. I've said it. I said it last season. I said it this season. Um, we don't have enough players in the squad that are comfortable on the ball. And until that particular um, aspect of the squad changes, then it's always going to be an issue. So again, we we need probably reinforcements in the in the transfer window, and hopefully some players that that can not only break out of the press, but can can offer a bit more when they get on the ball and, and maybe be a bit fitter. Because, you know, you look at the team, we've got, you know, you've got one guy who's got one foot out of the door and then you've got two guys that are the wrong side of 30 already that you're relying on as you start in 11. So that that's kind of where we need some help, I think. Well, we're on, we're on uh, obviously with this starting 11, we're on mm-hmm. three, four with Urso, Nani, Pereira and Moss, but... Starting love. Oh yeah. No, I mean like in an attacking sense. That's what it was. Oh, I, yeah. I was happy with the defense because the def- the back five, including the keeper, I think did everything they're expected to do. But with the the lack of uh, cohesion in front of them, as far as the press, they were off. They were left with a lot more to worry about than they should have done. You know. Yeah, and and look, we we do also have a in terms of trying to break the opposing team's press, we do have a Sebas Mendes on the bench, obviously being rested mm-hmm. after being involved in a World Cup qualifier, I think one or two days ago, not not long ago at all. Yeah. Um, flying back and, and even being on the bench is impressive enough, let alone mm-hmm. uh, playing in the game. So there, there is that, and he is obviously a, a big component. We Very similar to when we lost Pereira last season. Uh, we struggled to, to score goals and be good in general. Um, this this season it is, seems to be Sebas Mendes as he's been very important in getting out of those presses and, and building up the play through the midfield. Um, speaking of Pereira, I wanted to bring him up as we obviously haven't talked a lot on this podcast about many Orlando City things because we haven't had a lot of episodes. For me, he's had a pretty down season. The stats won't say that. I'm pretty sure he's sitting on a healthy number of a, of MLS assists. Um, let me just pull it up here. Real Wait, when you say MLS assists, do you mean like assists from when he was a footballer in his previous life that somehow <laughs> yeah. this season? Yeah. Right? Um, okay. Let me find his stats so far this season. I want to say he's around the ten mark. Mm-hmm. Where's the assist? Yeah, he has he has ten MLS assists. Um, I would have to go to transfer marked to see how many actual assists he has. But for me, yes, he's been impactful with the assist category. But in terms of overall play, he has been much less impactful than previous seasons. Uh, do you think that's just age catching up with him? Uh, do you think that's, you know, last season he had a really up season, so now everyone knows about him, so he's going to be... Um, targeted a little bit more what do you think's going on with with Maurizio Pereira the way I see it is that you know when you're a creative midfielder like Mike Mauricio you need the ball at your feet and you need to be the the number one man in the team at least at, at this level you do so we have a couple of number number one players so to speak and that's him and, and Nani when they're both on the field together 
I think they're a little bit too similar in, in the sense that, you know, they get the ball and then they're the one that's expected to make things happen. But in truth, I think you find them both occupying similar spaces and, and trying to do the same thing. And the which... problem with that is if, if Maurizio Pereira is the one who's supposed to make things happen, but Nani is also the one to make things happen, they only have DK mm-hmm. and Mueller to pass to, not that third That's option right. that most people have. And we, and we don't often get enough people in the box, you know? Uh, when we're attacking the ball or attacking the crosses, there's not enough people in there to try and get the ball. So, you know, does Nani have the legs on him to to make the run, to get on the end of whatever pass Mauricio is going to try and play? And, and the answer to that is likely not, you know, it's a no. And that's not Nani's fault. I'm not, not going to, you know, sort of diss Nani there. But it, you've got two players there, essentially, that are very similar, even though they play different positionally. They're very similar in what they in what they bring to the team, and when you when you referenced earlier that we play a lot more transitional, and a lot more direct. I mean, the ball and the game is literally flying over Mauricio's head, so he can't have that much impact. He's he's uh, he's not you know too combative. He's not going to physically impose himself. You know, if you haven't he hasn't got the ball, then what else can he really do? It's uh, it's a little harder on him. If we were still playing a lot more possession burst, he would probably be more influential. But I also do feel, like I said, it's a if you have him as a ten and you've got two good, quick, direct runners either side of him, plus you know, plus DK up front, you would see more from Mauricio. We have we seen that? I feel like we have. Not Maybe much. When, when you know. Nani gets rested. I feel like but that. I feel after, like more it's Pereira gets rested and Nani starts, or he's seems, injured or something. It seems to be that way. I mean, I feel like that after the eighth or ninth game this season, Orlando kind of just stopped doing what they were doing well and just went to this more transitional, more defensive, more pragmatic style of play. And I think it came after they got tonked you know, by New York City. I think everything changed after that game. They just went to this more conservative style. And with that went some of the sort of fluidity and the, you know, and the uh, the attacking thrust that they had in that in that first few, well, first couple of months of the season, I should say. You know, and, and we saw that with the downturn in form we just had, which you know they were losing game after game, and it's like they'd lost all all you know principle as to what they were trying to do. All right. Um, next topic of discussion here is and something that i think um some fans have been talking about obviously not all the fans but um the almost disappearance of kyle smith from uh starting lineup contention what is your take on that obviously we got a backup left back in and emmanuel moss Mm -hmm. so he's not the only other left back who can play there but um you know you still expect to see him get some minutes uh, to to combine with Juan and I, I ever since Juan's come back from his injury it's been mm-hmm. all Juan no Kyle Smith and even on some of these tough road road games you you expect to see a a Kyle Smith start there to to kind of give you some more defensive presence mm-hmm. um, and you know safety on the ball but it's been all Juan what what's your take on um, Kyle Smith kind of being sat down here over the last month or so. I think what happened with Carl Smith, to be honest with you, is that he did everyone's taxes in the squad, and every single one of them owed money. <laughs> so I think he's managed to alienate himself. You know, I think like they're all looking at him now, like you're supposed to save me money, not cost me money. Yeah, he he sent them all their tax bills. <laughs> so they're all owing. I mean, they're all they're all upset about it. They're all a bit pissy, you know. Especially with the deadline just finished, you know. So they're all a bit pissy with him, and they're like, oh, "No, Carl, you're not playing. Bugger off." Um, but no, in all seriousness, I think I think what it is is that I think Oscar's overcompensating for the the lack of you know attacking players we have. I mean, for all intents and purposes, I mean you even saw this in the game yesterday. Like Owan was seemed to be the regular outlet for the ball, you know. And it, at times, if uh, even though it's not statistically true, it feels like he's the only outlet for the ball when they get it. And you know that's fine if you're. If you're Cafu or somebody like that who's got a good end product, 
then it's a sensible strategy to use. But you know, for one, he's not Cafu. He's fast, but he's not. You know, he's not. You know, obviously not got the end product. And Kyle Smith is going to suffer because of this because he doesn't have the legs that one does to get up and down. You know, and doesn't have. You could argue he doesn't have the end product either. Um, for what it's worth, I think Smith's a much better crosser of the ball, especially from a, a slightly deeper position. And I think he's got good positional sense, and he we seem to defend a lot better when he was playing. So I'm I'm just as puzzled as as everyone else as to why he's not seeing the field. But I do think the majority of it is that they're overcompensating for the lack of an attacking thrust there is by utilizing Juan as our main outlet and Smith as the person that loses out because of it. Yeah, um, that's an interesting take that uh, mm-hmm. he. Um, what, what about the taxes? Yeah, just like we're using him because we are kind of bereft in, in the attacking. Uh, for all the. Pitch. Everyone goes on about depth, but like when you go back to this point that one, our right fullback who wears the number two jersey is your most used outlet when you're on the counter-attack. Then that shows you, that should tell you in itself that the squad does not have the sufficient players in that final third. Because you shouldn't be, you can't rely on a, on a fullback as you're attacking outlet like that. It's, uh, it's dangerous to do that. And we're not, got, we're not getting enough from, from Mueller, we're not getting enough from Van der Waal, we're not getting enough from, from Nani recently. You know, and that's what, what's, that's what Oscar's been forced to do. And, I understand the selection by Oscar, even if I don't agree with it. But um, yeah, I think that would be my take. I would, I would certainly, you know, present that as the reason why Smith's not getting in. I will say, Kyle Smith is currently sitting at twenty games started, twenty-four appearances, and mm-hmm. Juan is at sixteen games started, nineteen appearances. Um, both of them have the same number of assists, MLS assists, of course. Um, but, you know, that's obviously not the massive great indicator of end product. As I would say, Huan has a lot more opportunities to get assists and can never seem to um, do that for us. But so it could just be a, purely a, a minutes thing, you know. Um, Cal Smith kind of held it down for the first half of the season, and now it's Huan's turn to hold it down for the second half. But as we near the playoffs, I would... I really hope we're not taking any risks. Uh, maybe maybe we see Cal Smith get a go against Montreal because mm-hmm. we had that long two week break. He I don't even know the last time Cal Smith started a game for us. Um, it's been quite a while. He did have a poor performance in his last um, start. I do remember it might have been the Atlanta United game. Was mm-hmm. it? Or I think or he did. He yeah. Came on, he came on in that game and and did really poor in a defensive situation near the end of the game, but that certainly can't be the reason why, because um, most of our players played poor in that game. Well, you have so, to yeah. wonder, like, if that's the case with Smith, then how do players like Moutinho and such keep their players game after game? Because, you know, it could apply that to, to any player, you know. Um, one game and then you're out. I mean, this isn't the only time this has happened to a player. You know, this has happened, you know, I can think of uh, the teams we support in England, that it happens there as well, that one player will have a a bad game and you'll never see him again. And yet other players will constantly play. So, I mean, every coach has the favourites and it's it's uh, it's clear that, you know, Oscar's got his preferred 11, but yeah, with Smith, you've got to feel for him. I feel like he should have, he should have probably been the left-back if Moutinho was not playing, then I would have had him at left-back. I would have been quite happy with that. Yeah, uh, Moss has been ex- exactly what I've expected just an average experienced professional who can do a job out there. Um, all right. So that's the Kyle Smith conversation over. Um, Cause he's literally disappeared before we move on to the Montreal game. Um, it would be remiss to not talk about uh, Pato being back in the 18 or what is it now? 21. I don't know. Um, how many subs were allowed these days? What do you mean? Do you mean Pato, the guy that's deliberately got himself injured and purposely not playing and letting yeah, everyone yeah, online abuse like he, him for it? 
Yeah, you know? it looks like he he finally wants to play come playoff time. What a surprise, right? What a what a dirty guy. Oh, he's a horrible guy. He's so I hope totally sent his contract. <laughs> he totally 120% deserves the abuse he gets online for being injured. Um, of course, I'm being completely sarcastic here. Yeah. No, if you all can't can't see that, um, we were we are obviously not condoning abuse of any of our players, let alone a player who's been out injured all season and does yeah. have a track record of injuries. But he is but, back after the Atlanta United game where he got injured mm-hmm. on the bench. Of course, we didn't get to see him. If we go on to win the cup, let's just. Let's just throw this out there. If we go on to win the cup, he plays a role. Um, maybe doesn't score, but he gets some some minutes and and helps us in in the playoffs. Was his transfer to the club worth it, in your opinion? Well, it's a very very strong rhetorical question, isn't it? Um, yes. You know, I think I I. First of all, with Pato, the the decision to sign him was made by the club, you know, and he's a footballer. If you offer him a contract and you want him, he's going to accept the contract, right, if he wants to come. So I don't blame Pato for being there. I don't blame him for for taking a cut of his salary and, and whatever else. He's not been purposely injured, but he has a very long injury history and the club signed him despite that. He had not played a competitive game for, was it like eight months or so? And I don't know, like, it, it's it's a really tough question, that one. I mean, I would I would say that over the course of a season, it's it's not worth it. But then, you know what, someone will record that soundbite and he'll score the winning goal in the MLS Cup final. And then they'll say, yeah, you, screw you guys, you suck, you got it wrong. So, um, I'll go, I'll put, I'll go out on the hill and I'll say, no, it's not been a good signing, not been a successful one, especially in the MLS roster world where, you know, you've got a an international slot, you know, occupied by him. It's not just him, it's AS as well. And Alvarado have barely played. I mean, you've got three international slots there that were, have barely been used, which is borderline criminal in MLS, the roster terms. I think you'll agree. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the squad building... You know, in general, for this season, has been very poor. If you want my opinion, I've not been impressed with with that many of the new new signings. The the players that I've been most impressed with are the ones that were a lot of the ones were there last year. Quite honestly, uh, with Pato, he's a victim of circumstance, a victim of truly unfortunate circumstance. I hold no ill feeling towards him as a as a supporter because at the end of the day, you can't, it's an injury. You, everybody gets them, you know, as players get them. That's life. Um, thankfully, it hasn't cost the club a great deal of money, but um, I'll say the signing's not been a, a worth it now. I mean, I, I wouldn't look back at this season as a success for him. Even if he does make a contribution in the, in the playoffs, I don't think that vindicates... You know, the usage of the international slot and, and whatever else for the whole season. Yeah. Hey, I mean, look, Kai Havertz scored the winning goal in the Champions League final, and he had a pretty mm. rough season. But yeah. then again, he did get COVID, did get injured. Um, he struggled mm. with COVID a lot, I remember. A lot of players have. Um, yeah. Yeah, they've gotten something called like long, long COVID, which is just like... A really nasty version of it. Um, Leeds actually picked someone up, uh, Jean Kevin Augustine. Yeah, I'm sure you're aware. He, he his career has gone gone downhill. He he signed for us in January last year. Was not fit, and then he got COVID. And he has long COVID. He got released by his club, gone to Nantes. Hasn't scored. He's going to get released by them, but he hasn't scored a competitive goal since 2019. And he's got that version of COVID, which is just like he just can't get his fitness levels up. Like back up to to where they used to be, and yeah, it's awful. it's it's sad. It's horrible for a footballer. You know, you think of whether these guys are millionaires or not. I mean, it's that's a pretty damning kind of fate to have to to face. You know, uh, you know, everyone's struggles are relative to them to themselves, and you know, with these players, you know, like getting sick like that, it's horrible for them as well. And you know, it's 
like you say with Havertz, he is he's going to be looked at looked on as a as a legend for scoring that goal. I think I had a tweet a while back where I'd mentioned something about Chelsea's transfer business, and it it didn't go viral, but I got like about three or four hundred, you know, like hits on it and a lot of responses from angry Chelsea fans. But then I'm thinking, well, you paid, what's it, 70 million for Havertz and you paid like 75 for Werner. Can you honestly say those were worth it, even if you won the Champions League, you know? And I don't know, it's just like football's crazy, man. It has that knack of just kicking you in the balls and having a player do one thing in one game happens to be the most important game of the season. But over the course of a whole year, it's, you know, you always think, well, we could have gotten better value somewhere else. Yeah, it's a crazy game. It mm-hmm. really is. Let's look ahead to um, Montreal Wednesday, of course. I think we're we're done on... Oh, actually, no. What's your stance on the penalty claim before we get out of the Cincinnati talk? We got to talk well, about that. First of all, we can't talk about the penalty claim without talking about Tesho's rocket. Do, but... you, do you think it was a goal? Absolutely. Yeah, the, the replays that we, we saw... Um, to me, the replays they the commentator the commentators were talking about a couple of slow motion replays, and from what I saw, um, it was a goal. The ball looked over the line to me by about an inch or so. Now I haven't seen this particular angle, but I saw on Reddit that somebody said there there was another view of the goal which we didn't get to see, where it appeared the ball was just slightly on the line still. Now. I saw, I don't want to interrupt, but I guess I do. Sorry. Um, (laughs) My podcast, my rules. I saw a picture of somebody who does um, goal line technology through the cameras. Um, It's like a Twitter page and they Mm -hmm. have the, the, uh, the software to do it, I guess. And through their software, which isn't, 100% 100% accurate, but it's very, very, very accurate, they claim. Obviously, um, it showed that there was parts of the ball on the line. Um, okay. I haven't seen that, you see. So I'm, I'm going off my my raw kind of unedited visual feedback. Yeah, right now it's yesterday. totally up in the air. Who knows? Really? I, mean, it was, I don't think anybody knows. It would have been an abs- It would have been a goal of the season contender for Orlando had that counted. Because it was a terrific shot. I mean, oh, bloody hell. Fair. It's really, really hard to hit a ball the way he did. And he did it, and he did it while he was on the move. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm glad he just took the shot because there's a lot of times he, this season he just won't shoot, you know. Um, it was a great effort. I feel very, very bad for him because he, it should have, you know, you can say it should have counted. I mean, we'll never 100% know until they put the technology in whether the ball was fully over or not. Um, when a, a league like MLS is charging you, Teams three hundred fifty million to join. You'd think a little bit of that money should go towards you know some goal line technology, you know, and make the league a little bit better than it was the year before. Oh, it's it's been in the news now. I think three or four games this season, uh, and I don't remember ever really hearing yeah. much about it in previous seasons. So I feel like they're going to do something about I it. Think I think they have like to do if because yeah. the thing with MLS is that. You know, for all these, you know, aspirations the league has and for all the, the stick that the, the fanboys want to talk about, at the end of the day, the league is, is still behind, like, technologically and certainly in terms of refereeing. I feel like they're going to have to implement this goal line technology. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to maybe have to hire full-time referees, you know, and, and train them a bit a bit more and whatever else, maybe get some people in from other leagues or something to improve the standard there as well. Because I'm not, I, I feel like that should have been something that, you know, should have been looked at at the very least and checked. And then as for the penalty, um, I, I think 100% it was a penalty, yes. Um, I was telling my friend, actually, I texted him through the game, and it's a 100% Stonewall penalty. And, and let's be honest, uh, Gavin, if it was the other way around and that was uh, an Orlando player that got fouled, I think we'd all feel the same way. So, even if one player has pushed another, I mean, it's a it's not it's a contact sport, so that's always going to happen, especially when you're defending. 
a long ball like that, uh, Schlegel has his hand on the guy's face and the guy goes down. And it's a penalty and, and a probable yellow card at the very least. You know, so yeah, it should have been a penalty. And, you know, and my friend said to me, he said, maybe that was a makeup call for the goal not being given. You know, which, you know, you can never discount, I guess. But yeah, it should have been a penalty, in my opinion. Very few things you and I disagree on. I mm-hmm. don't think it was a penalty. Um, I think that I personally look at it in the lens of he did get knocked. I don't know how big of a knock Hagland gave him. And I'm not saying Hagland did it on purpose. He fell mm-hmm. over, probably got pushed by Urso. That's probably more of a penalty than this mm-hmm. one for me. Because the natural arm movement when you're falling over is to wave wave them around to try and catch your balance, right? <laughs> I've just and pictured... That's, um, that's that's how you wave... You That's what you do. You just made you me think about down. that. You made me think about that scene in uh, Team America World Police where they're on the, the car chase and the um, the guys are in the front the front car waving their arms about trying to get rescued. Yeah, that's, and that's exactly what they do. So for me, <laughs> yeah. he gets hit. Again, not sure how hard. Uh, and, and real... You can't tell in slow-mo or in real time, really, if it's that yeah. big of a thing. But to me, he loses his balance. And mm-hmm. you can tell... Look, he still has to try and defend the ball. He can't just fall over because he's lost his balance. So his eyes are on the ball. He's clearly lost his balance to me, personally. That's how I view it. Mm-hmm. Waves his arms. And you can tell he's lost his balance in the jump. Because when you try to do something, when you're off balance, it, it never comes off right. His jump is literally a half backflip. And yeah. you don't jump like that naturally. No. You know, he jumps falling over because he's off balance. And so, to me, the natural arm movement is you're going to hit the guy in the head. And your argument yeah. of it's a contact sport, on the one end, I kind of apply to the other end. So, like, I can I can see how, you know, when you play the video, um, if you're looking at as... It's a contact sport, but your elbow hit the guy in the head. It's a penalty. You know what? I'd argue two years, three years ago, it was a penalty when MLS was really big on head contact, um, mm-hmm. being very strict on that. They're clearly not that strict on it anymore. Who who was who was our player that got elbowed in the head um, and not even a yellow card shown or not even a foul? Um, I, but I don't know. You know. It happens. But end of the day to me he's completely off balance does a freaking backflip while trying to jump mm-hmm. for the ball hits the guy in the head and they're obviously going to look at it to me they made the right call that's that's just how i, I view it that's fine i mean i i get what you're saying but the one rule i always apply to these um these incidents okay if i make a decision is if this was the other way around how would i feel about it and circumstances reversed with Orlando go behind in injury time, and that happens. I think you're seeing riots in the streets after that, <laughs> you know. So, I think you would be very aggrieved as a supporter of that team that you didn't get that penalty because you'd be there saying, "Well, the law of the, the laws of the game say, you know, it's contact in the face and it's in the box." You wouldn't be thinking about all oh, those other additional. Uh, phases of play that you just described which you know you made a very good case I mean I'm not saying you I don't think you're you're necessarily wrong to be honest I just feel that on the balance of it I think I could I think I, I would have expected the penalty had, it, had I been supporting the team yeah and you look there are different reps and that's why there are different interpretations to each call mm-hmm. for every match yes There's, it is it is a true statement saying that a different ref would have called a penalty and we Absolutely. got left. a different ref would have called a penalty um and a, and a different ref might well have called that goal so yeah you know and ed the ar probably needs to be paying a little bit more attention there um but obviously they weren't on the line either no. so kind of hard to tell um so yeah um two different opinions um i know across the fan base most people are of the opinion it was not a penalty. Um, but I'm sure there are those that agree with you. Fair enough. Let's move on to the Montreal game now. 
uh, and get out of here. We've had mm -hmm. a long discussion already. Uh, we were talking beforehand about this game and how on paper it might not be the scariest game home to Montreal. Um, but I'm really nervous for this game. They've already beat us at home once, uh, and I hope we remember that. I hope we remember that because we played poor in that game. We got two red cards. Very, very, very bad performance uh, and bad result for us. So I hope we're out to get a little bit of revenge. But Montreal currently sitting seventh, teetering on the playoff line, uh, one point ahead of New York Red Bulls and New York City FC, or four points ahead of Columbus, who got their big win against Miami. Um, actually, a really good result for us, New York Red Bulls beating New York City, as that kept them five points back now instead of only two. So, like I said, very nervous. Uh, I watched their game against Philadelphia this weekend. They play a 3-4-2-1, different iterations, same thing. Um, we did not cope with that well against D.C., and they're a similar team, line up in a similar system, go across the entire field. You really need to to play through us. They're going to press us. And they have a new striker, Miljevic, who played pretty decently for them, scored a goal. What are your feelings on the match coming up? And what are we going to have to do to beat this team, who are going to be way up for the fight, in my opinion? Well, you've got to win. It's as simple as that, so... I don't think a draw really does much, you know. It doesn't a draw doesn't really do anything for either team at this point. You know, with five games left, so for Orlando to win, it's one foot in the door, I think, to getting into the playoffs. And for Montreal, they have to win, then they'll they'll put in pressure on everybody else. So it's um, you're going to see a, an attacking game. I think I think we might see a few goals in this one. Um, but Montreal, like you said. With that pressing and that energy, you've got to watch out for me. You can't afford to be complacent. And I always have in my mind, like the from two years back, the complacency that was kind of in the fan base about the last few games of the season when we were going to make the playoffs after magically winning four out of five games after winning like three all season. And I, that's not the case here. It's it's Orlando's got to be fully tuned in, and, and they've got to take it seriously and, and they've got to do what they've got to do and, and I'm not expecting a, a Cavalier attacking performance by Orlando I'm, I'm, I'm expecting a, a scrappy defensive gritty you know probably direct game to be honest with you I would not be surprised to see us change shape a little bit and maybe go to a 4-4-2 and go with two central strikers um, that would be a good countermeasure, in my opinion, against three centre-backs, especially with a team that likes to play out the back. So I would not be surprised at all if we see, you know, I'm not saying, I don't know if we'll see Tesho and DK, but I'm pretty sure you're going to see DK and possibly Michelle uh, starting that game. Um, one of Nani or Pereira is going to drop to the bench and you're going to see a, an energetic four in midfield with you know, four solid defenders behind him. And I think um, Antonio Carlos is out as well. So that's another absence as well. And you got Schlegel and Janssen and you know that's I don't think that's the strongest combination we have. So it's gonna to be tough. I mean they've they've gotta be you you can't have any of these self inflicted errors. They've got to just do what they gotta do. So like I said, it's gonna be a direct scrappy game and I think I think there's gonna be a few goals. Yeah. Um Look, the, the positive is Joel Waterman's out for them. They're starting center back as well. Um, I believe Kyoto might be out injured. And looking at their schedule ahead, you know, this usually when these narratives, when people talk about these narratives, I, I rarely believe them, but I will throw it out there. Um, they play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, the rest of their, their season um, mm -hmm. until playoffs, obviously. So they played against Philadelphia in Canada on Saturday. Fly down to us Wednesday, Orlando. Mm -hmm. Obviously a, a pretty big trip there. And then they're back in Canada on Saturday against Toronto. Um, and obviously a rivalry match there. And then midweek, 
They're in a Canadian Championship semifinal against a team called Forge FC. Um, and then I lost my schedule, so as I stall. Then they're away to the Red Bulls Saturday. And then they have two home games against Dynamo and against us. Last game of the season for us is in Montreal. So Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday. Um, most teams don't write off games. Obviously, we did against New York, but we might be lucky and that, you know, I can only hope they write off the game against us, um, considering the run they have up ahead. Uh, but I highly doubt it. You know, they're probably going to do the the whole every game from here on out is a final, and it is for them. So I think it's going to be a tough match. They're going to look to scrap points wherever they can get them. Mm-hmm. Um, tough run or not coming up. And I just wish we would have caught them near the end of this tough run, which we well, will, but it will be a home game for them. I'm pretty season. sure they'll, they're going to write off the, the Canadian Championship game if they're going to write any of them off. Um, not yeah. so much write it off, but if they're going to rotate, then that's the one. I mean, mm-hmm. Orlando really needs the three points on Wednesday because... When you look at the run they've got after that, I mean, you've got New England, who we know how good New England are this year, and they're chasing a record as well. So they're not coming to Orlando just to just to kick a ball around and go home. They're gonna they're coming to win. Um, they got Nashville, and Nashville are the exact description of what I think Orlando is gonna have to play like against Montreal. You know, which is very gritty, very tough, very strong, especially on set pieces and such. You know, and then you've got, obviously got the Montreal game. And I can't remember the last remaining game. Who is it? Orlando has again. Um, we play Columbus on the road before, so it goes oh. Orlando against New England. Um, yeah. away to Columbus, home to Nashville, away to Montreal. And see, Columbus are just picking up a little bit of form as well. Yep, and so, they are only four points out of the playoff race. Exactly. So. Columbus, I mean, I know like I know the table will always suggest something, but good teams don't become terrible overnight. You know, and, and things like form and injuries and such can really uh, derail your season, as we've seen with Columbus. But they're just getting everybody back now and playing well. I mean, I don't think um, Caleb Potter is the sort of coach that's going to give anything to anybody. You know, he's he's... I think he plays every single game like it's his last, even if there's nothing to play for. Uh, which you know, you never know how the season runs. But he's, if they've got even a, a you know twenty percent chance, twenty five percent of making playoffs, you know they're going to be fully up for it, and they're not going to make it easy. So I mean, there's no guarantee here that Orlando's going to win. You know, I would say they probably need three wins and a draw to to completely nail the playoffs down. You know, maybe three wins might be enough. But given all the other teams and who the and the fact that they're all playing each other, that just makes it really, really complicated, you know. It's just as well they got the win yesterday in Cincinnati because if they did not, then it would have been looking a bit more precarious. So. Yeah, we've given ourselves some breathing room. Not to mention, we mm-hmm. do have a matchup against Nashville at home. If look, obviously at the end of last season they bopped us in the face and beat us at home. But uh, yeah. if we can pull out a result there, they don't have a very easy schedule coming up either. They play Columbus, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Their rival Cincinnati. So they're at Cincinnati. Hopefully the rivalry will make Cincinnati a little bit better, but probably not. Um, they play us, and then they play at home to the Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, there's no easy games. I mean, it's, no, there it's, really isn't. Everybody right now, you know, is in that playoff discussion. It's got a tough run. You know, but we have to look at what, you know, what business Orlando can take care of. They can't control the other games, so they've got to get those points themselves. And we'll see on Wednesday, won't we, if, if they've got it. But if they don't win on Wednesday, then it's it's going to look, you know, very precarious, especially because there's only a few points, really, just safety. And you ideally need that top four finish because you want that home playoff tie. So, yeah. I mean, if it's an away playoff tie for Orlando, then... Yeah, we're in the playoffs, but you know, do you feel as confident? Maybe not. Especially as uh, the stadiums around the country are just opening back up again, and there's likely going to be a full house for the playoff games. 
you don't want to be going to someone else's stadium in front of a full house. So it's in, you know, they've got to win. I think, I think they know that and we don't need to tell them that. Yeah. Um, so not, maybe not surprisingly enough, but I do have a sneaky feeling we will play well in the uh, New England game and might come out of that with a win. Um, mm. We always seem to to pick up our game when we're up against a, a you know, a proper good opponent. Uh, the boys seem to, to get gear themselves up for it and play well. well. Yeah, because uh, those better teams will 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 push more players forward. They're going to leave more space at the back. And the funny paradox in all of this is that Orlando actually has the players that can take advantage of that. It's just when teams, you know, maybe on a maybe a slightly lower standard, in Orlando come to town, they they just defend and they press, and and that just nullifies the attack that they have, which you know leads back into the whole of the discussion about you know players that we're probably going to need going forward, but. Um, but yeah, I agree. The New England game might be a surprise. I don't know if it's necessarily a win, but it's you know I think there's a chance they could win if if they if they can defend well. I think they can win because I think they'll score. I think Orlando's going to score in every one of the games we've got left. But whether they can keep them out is the that's the the tricky bit. That's the way the doubt is. I think. Yeah. Um, what what's your prediction for the Montreal game? Where are you, what are you feeling? I'm going to go against everything I just said, and I'm going to say it's a two-two. Because well, both, teams, both teams are going to need <laughs> to win so much that they're both going to do quite a bit of good stuff, and they're going to both mess it up for themselves as well. Okay. I don't, Setting the bar low—that's probably a smart thing to do. I, I honestly, you know, I don't think Orlando's got many clean sheets in them. You know, I feel like unless. Hey, we have more this season than we did last season. Yeah, but even then, you just look at some of the, the goals they've conceded. I mean, I'm not fully confident in the defence. You know, especially with Antonio not playing. You know, I feel like they I feel like they need they need they need more back there, you know? No, not not against Montreal. Um one thing that they really did well um against Philadelphia mm-hmm. is getting in the the channels getting in the spaces in between mm-hmm. the players and they had a very similar issue to us where they were fine at building the play up to the final third um you know and obviously we've struggled with that before but they seem to be doing be a little bit better at it i've watched them multiple times this season and they mm-hmm. build up really well they just they're when they get into the final third they lower their tempo so much. They do not go direct towards goal. They sometimes they'll they'll have a good passage of play and get past a couple of players, mm-hmm. and then just stop and slow down and pass it back. And it's like, no, 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 that you've got to go forward there. <laughs> what are you doing? And it's been frustrating to watch them. Um, but the, yeah, you but... know, on the road they might say, hey, we need to be more direct. And again, they get into those channels and they they find those passes and. And that's hard to defend against, and that pulls people around, and they could very well pick us apart here like they that's did. That's the thing. I'm not yeah. sure that... I don't think our team has um, enough quality to deal with that type of play. I think that we've seen this season a lot of rush tackles and a lot of rush challenges, and that's the type of team playing that way. If they do it well, that's going to encourage those types of tackles. So you're going to have players flying out of position and maybe you know getting themselves a card early in the game, which we've seen quite a few times. And Schlegel starting. Yeah. So you've got you've just got these um, these other factors. It's going to be a really tough game, an interesting one. So let's just see how it goes. Yeah, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how um, we handle handle them, and hopefully mm-hmm. we do kind of alter our tactics a bit. I'm going to go with a two-one. Gritty nail biting win. Um, maybe we get a penalty in the match to to get us the winner, but I don't know. I I, I don't I don't think we're gonna do well against them in terms of performance. But similar to the DC game, I think we might grind out a win. All right, we'll get out of here. That's an hour of content. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed the discussion. Um, obviously, I am no longer working in the food industry. So I have a a big boy work at home job. So I'll be producing more content, more 
regularly. I won't make any promises, but should be more regularly than it was. Um, and a, a big part of, you know, the lack of content this season is I haven't been able to watch the games. I've worked every Wednesday night. I've worked Saturday night and or I work, you know, 6 a.m. Sunday morning and I'm asleep by the time the game's over um, and I, or I don't want to record. So a lot of it's just been I haven't been able to actually look at the game and then do a rewatch and then talk about it. So my apologies on that front. Um, I'm excited to to talk more with with my guys. Obviously, Daniel here tonight with me. Hopefully soon Chase and Adam can get back on. We do appreciate you guys supporting us, listening to us. Because um, it's always interesting to talk soccer. So thank you, Daniel, very much. Yeah, thank you. Soccer. I do appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. Come. Good night, everybody. Chance!